Special. Starring Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker. With special guest stars, Beatrice Arthur, Art Carney, Diane Carroll, The Jefferson Starship, Harvey Corman, and an animated Star Wars story on the Star Wars Holiday Special. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how busy were you this year? What's that you say, a 15? <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty common feeling these days. One of the most interesting and ironic things is that the primary reason we work so hard that we make ourselves so busy is so that we inevitably have more time to spend in leisure. And yet, we manage and measure the success of our life by how busy we are, not how much leisure we have. Now there's a social pressure to this, of course. You see it all over social media. People talking about their crazy schedules, their no life, the work till you drop, the hustle. Interestingly, one study conducted recently, people were asked to read a description of a mid-30s man. In one description, it said, this man works long hours and his calendar is always full. In the other, it said, this man does not work and has a leisurely lifestyle. Guess which one was rated as being more successful? But are we more busy, really? Another study found that the total amounts of work has not increased in Europe or North America in recent decades. We still work the same number of hours. We actually spend more time with our children these days than in generations past. So what gives? Well, as it turns out, it's the business we're in, knowledge work. In days of old, you could only process so many widgets off the assembly line. You could only pull the crops when they were ready for harvest. You could only do so much when the materials were ready. But today, it's infinite. There's always more. The to-do list, it's infinitely long. There's always one more email, one more thing to write, one more thing to read, one more iteration to create. So you can always rationalize doing that one more thing before you go home, go to the gym, read the novel, listen to your favorite song, or yeah, surf puppy videos. The question of how many blog posts can we create isn't how many can be written given our limitations. You're in an escalating war with how many have been written in history and upping that every time. The game of no ceiling, it's a losing one ultimately. So, one of the responsibilities we have as digital managers is to actually create these limits, to create a balance scale that focuses and balances our lives and the balance of those around us. And that's the theme of our show today, balancing the busy, both in ourselves and those around us. This holiday season, as you sit down with your family, your friends, your loved ones, take a moment and slow down. Remember, relaxing and leisure is not only an indication of success, it's good for your health too. And now it's time for us to contribute to both your health and your success. Lean back and relax and let Joe and I drive for an hour. You ready to improve your health? Well then, let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. 
Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 162 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, December 19th, 2016, and a very Merry Christmas to you all. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the man of leisure of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? You know, I'm doing fine. I always love these holiday episodes. <laughs> Because we have not the greatest news coming in, but we do the best we no. can. I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's okay. And uh, and after last week's episode, we we received a lot of requests to do the, For the, do drunk, the drunk show, show yeah. which I think you and I decided that next week we'll at least do a cocktail show. We're going to do a cocktail show. Whether or not we get drunk is a different story. It's a, you know what what I think we forgot in this whole situation was that. You know, for those of you who don't know, the drunk show really its origins are the morning DJs in many cities will do a drunk show every year, just typically to call attention to the drunk driving situation. But they've got like four and a half hours to get drunk, right? We have an hour, and without coming into the show already pretty buzzed, it's gonna it would take a lot to get drunk in an hour, and quite frankly, you wouldn't really get the benefit of you would just basically have us getting buzzed and then we'd have the ramifications of all of that for the rest of the day so well, we, we'll have a cocktail well show. we could fast and then do shots if we if we yeah. did that <laughs> it would work well here's here's what i think i one suggestion that came in through twitter which i thought was a really good one which was have some cocktails and then post in the show notes the cocktail ingredients the the sort of the the actual ingredients of the cocktails that you're drinking and i like that very much so i was going to make myself a special tequila cocktail um, and maybe have a really gla- a nice glass of wine while we recorded, and then I'll post both of those things. Right. You could do your Tito's. I'll, I'll or something do yes. Like that. I'll do a vodka cocktail of some kind, probably Tito's, yeah. since I love Tito's. I wish I was sponsored yeah. by Tito's. I really do. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to have to send him a note. Please sponsor yeah. me. Please sponsor uh, me and change absolutely. your color to orange, <laughs> so I can wear your T-shirt. And of course, with the intro this uh, this show, we had the you know you can't you can't go wrong with a classic Star Wars holiday special, right? I mean, and I know you haven't seen Rogue One yet, which I, I saw yet. it yesterday with the family, and yeah. I give it thumbs up. Uh, okay, it's, it's on it's on the level of a Force Awakens, in my opinion. So it's okay. definitely it's on fleek, as the kids would oh, say. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's uh, it's definitely totes awesome. Um, very dark. I'm not going to give it away because I know you're going to see it in a couple of days. Uh, much darker than I think any other Star Wars movie that's been out there. Oh, I can't wait. Uh, I want some grit. Good, yeah, yeah some good grit. action. Uh, some a few surprises, and they do. You know, they it's a really good lead into a new hope. I mean, really good. So nice. Yeah. Okay. So, I'm looking. I'm very much looking yeah, forward was, to it. It was. It was fun. And uh, yeah, I I'm amazed at what Disney's done in buying Lucas for four billion dollars, and then more than making up for that. It just one or two movies. I didn't realize. Actually, I was look. We were um, we had a Christmas party last night, and we were doing uh, top box office hits of all time. I did not realize that. A Force Awakens literally shattered nearly every record on the planet from a timing standpoint. 
Um, oh, I'm sure it did. Yeah, I'm sure it did. I mean, it, it's bigger than Avatar now, and I think Avatar is the did, number one. I didn't it? know if they hit Avatar yet, because I don't know if I was looking at the number. I, uh, I think they did. I think they're the number one all time. Yeah. It's pretty pretty darn close to Avatar. So It's amazing. Yeah, they uh, they did a good... That was a good acquisition. That's what we call a decent yeah, yes, exactly. acquisition. That's what we call a successful acquisition. And the Mar- Yeah, the Marvel <laughs> Enterprise and the... Star Wars Enterprise, that'll do more for Disney than... I mean, and of course, they're remaking Disney World with the, the Star Wars theme. Oh, sure. And yeah, and they got the Han Solo movie coming out and all sorts of oh, stuff. Oh, I can't wait to see that one. You think Greedo will be yeah. in it? I, oh, I, come on, it has to, right? Gotta have I mean, Greedo. Yeah. Bosk. I'm, I'm all the, I want all the bounty hunters. I want just a bounty yeah. hunter movie, like you do an Avengers movie, but just with bounty hunters. Well, they talked about that, right? Didn't they, didn't they talk about a Boba Fett movie? Yes, and they should do one. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, <laughs> and, <laughs> all right, shall we move on to the slow news? Yeah, we can talk Star Wars for another be, hour. Yeah, but just do a Star Wars. I think I, I can count on one hand, and I actually know them by name of the people who would actually be happy with a Star Wars show. <laughs> this um, is the IG eighty eight episode. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. All right. Let us move on to the news then. And our slow news week, but and some interesting stories nonetheless. Our top story comes from NPR.org, um, although many of the news outlets are actually covering this story, which is Facebook has come out and detailed its new plan to combat fake news stories. The story opens up by saying, providing new details about how it's trying to counter the spread of fake news on its services, Facebook says it's working without fact-checking groups to identify bogus stories and to warn users if a story they're trying to share has been reported as fake. Facebook also says it will let users report a possible hoax by clicking the upper right-hand corner of a post and choosing one of four reasons they want to flag it. It's spam. Two, it's a fake news story. If a story is deemed false, it will be tagged with an alert message saying it's been disputed by third-party fact-checkers. Um, what did you think about this? I, I think I have a couple of takes on this and have answered a couple of questions, actually, that have come in in advisory sessions that I've done. But I wanted to get your take. What do you, you know, think it's about interesting. this? So the, the two options that I think you have here to fight fake news is one, they said, you know, hire the possibility of hiring third party editors. And the other one would be to have uh, the user self-police. I think that Facebook wants to opt for self-policing because the more and more they get into editorial control of, of any kind, even of fake news, they get into the right. we are a media company type of, yeah. and they don't want that. They really want to just be, hey, we're a technology platform, and if we're a technology pa- platform, then then the users can self-police kind of like a, a Reddit. I'm not a big Reddit user, but doesn't Reddit do that? They pretty much – Yes, they well they have they have um, uh, they have forum leaders basically yeah. you know admins who can go in and delete posts and and to become an admin depending on the level of of the subreddit that you're on you you are either a user or in some cases they are they're paid employees but mostly it's user based well yeah. so so the overall thing is Facebook has to do this because it's a rampant issue anybody who's on Facebook knows that you see them all the time from especially during the political season from the left sites and the right sites about like what are you kidding me and it what was really scary is the number of uh, people that i would talk to and would say hey can you believe that insert political candidate's name did this sure yeah and i'd have right. to say no that's not right that's not true oh and no, i saw reddit i'm like no uh, you need to check that. That's not right. And these are like really smart people. And I'm like, this is, this is a problem. We've got to fix this. But what I wanted to ask you, because I know you've got a take on it. 
So all in all, what what does this mean for brands out there who are creating content for for the Facebook platform? Is this going to be a good thing, a bad thing, or does it not matter? Yeah, I think it's an well, I think it's an interesting thing. I think the jury's probably still out. You know, I did have a couple of people actually call me and ask me about this um, specifically, and I think you know after thinking about it for a bit, I, I, here's what I think. I think there's sort of two things that are not necessarily mutually exclusive. So so the first is that I, I believe it's actually going to make the business case a little harder. Um, I, I think for those that are just getting into content marketing, this kind of thing is going to make the initial foray into becoming a quote-unquote media company or taking on attributes of a media company making that business case to executives you know a little more difficult because they're you know the one more pushback in sort of the idea here is going to be well do we really want to set ourselves up to be you know the news of a, you know in our industry especially with all the fake news that's out there and with the idea that now you know you know the whole you know it used to be when we were making the business case there was this whole thing about well we don't want to put our information out there because our competitors will see it. Um, and we don't want to be giving away anything our competitors. And we would kind of chuckle to ourselves and say, well, guess what? Your competitors already have that information. And so it, you're basically just hiding information from your customers. Well, now there's another sort of interesting pushback here, which is going to be, well, if we start publishing all this news in our industry, aren't our competitors going to go hit the this is fake news thing? And we don't, you know, it's going to be a, a damage to our brand. If we, you know, if, if competitors start labeling our stuff as fake news and, 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 and we get sort of flagged as being bad and, and it's, I think you're going to see some abuse of the system, I guess, on that, on that particular score and it's going to make things more difficult. The flip side of that, which again is not mutually exclusive, but I think is interesting. I think it becomes an, an amazingly, uh, uh, opportunistic moment for brands to get into this business. In other words, because of the democratization now of trust, because of the because of fake news and the sort of, you know, I don't know if you've seen it in your Facebook feed, but I've seen just increasingly so many different, uh, you know, charts and graphs of, well, here's where here's the spectrum of trust against all the news media. And they show sure. the New York Times yeah, versus I've the Washington it. Post and all of that. And and I think what you're going to see here is an opportunity for a brand to come in and say, well, we actually can plot ourselves on that spectrum. And actually, we're going to take the risk. You know, we're going to actually go out because we've got more trust actually right now than the media outlet does in our particular industry and or in news in general. And so if you look at things like investigative reporting or the things like, you know, brand journalism or really the idea of covering something either in an industry or more widely – well, then I think there's an opportunity here for a brand to really take that place, right? To take the place of that trust with an audience. And I think this provides an opportunity to do that. So I think there's, there's, there's two ways it could go. Um, and I think, you know, for those brands that are willing to take a bit of a risk, I think there's a, it's a big opportunity. I love your take on opportunity. Um, I thought about that when I saw it. I can't remember when, when we covered it. If it was last week or the or the week before, where we were talking about all the the rankings and uh, how the media has just been been devastated overall, the entire media industry devastated by what happened with the fake news and the election and everything. So it yeah. does create an amazing opportunity for anybody, not just a brand, right? Anybody to come in because you you're you can't be you know twenty percent, thirty percent approval if they don't know you. You're probably like, oh, 
you might be better off than you are as the New York Times or the Washington Post or whatever else is out there. But as you were talking, this is what I thought of. I think you're going to have to have third-party uh, reviewers approve this stuff because I think that it would be too easy for people to come in from the outside and start to game the system of, oh, this is not right, this is right, or, you know, if depending on where your allegiances lie, like you just mentioned to that. So I, I think you're going to have to have, Facebook's going to have to hire third party. But if we think about it from, uh, remember, you know, back, let's just take it 10 years ago with Google. Time is a really important thing when it comes to organic search results. So when you look at whatever, if, if Google ranks still exists in, his, in its original format, basically Google assigns a credibility score to every site. And as you build your body of work uh, and you get more credible links going to that uh, your site, you are better in the eyes of Google and you will theoretically rank higher. And that's sort of how it works. Right. Well, if, right. if this is just starting... Couldn't you see that working out this way where you're just you're going to get some kind of a Facebook rank as a domain? Because it sounds like from this story, they've sort of figured out the the gaming of the domain. F- Facebook's figured that out where you can't be, you know, ABC dot, you know, dot com or ABC news dot com where Facebook has figured that out that they, they won't let that publish. Um, so I think that if you get in now and you get ranked uh, by whoever that long term, that could help. And if you look. You know, two years, two three years down the road, you could say, "Hey, we are a credible uh, site because we've been ranked in all these for years, and I don't have to go through this review process anymore because I've made it through this early system." I know that's kind of what I thought of when you were talking. If that's going to happen yeah, or not, I, think, I don't well, know. Well, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens, right? When they start introducing this, you know, it's it's almost it's not unlike when they introduce privacy tools, right? You know, so as you know, as I know, and as certainly our audience knows, if you just look at your Facebook feed, there are people, and maybe, you know, you in the audience, you're this person, there are people who care deeply about this stuff. Like, I mean, they're, you know, they're the ones who are constantly posting stuff, constantly responding, constantly on there. And I don't, I don't mean that in any sort of pejorative way. I just mean that the people who care deeply about these kinds of issues and are out there Everything political, everything that's newsworthy, everything that you can post about a particular you know thing, one way or the other, positive or negative, they're out there. These are going to be the people who care enough to sort of click the down arrow and actually mark something sure. as fake. Sure. Other people who kind of go, meh, they just sort of thumb through the the Facebook feed and go, meh, you know what? Ah, oh, oh, there's somebody spouting off again. Oh, Trump, you know, whatever, right? And they're not going to be, they're not going to care. And I think. My gut tells me that most people fall into that second camp. And so what you're going to have is is that a very vocal few will dictate what gets flagged as uh, fake news. And that may be a good thing, but it may also not be. And so I think to your point, as some sort of third party is going to have to insert itself to be the ombudsman of trust, as it were, to be able to say, you know what, this thing is getting gamed, right? This, this particular story is getting gamed. or so it, It's going to be a really interesting thing to watch. They're going to have to. I mean, the more you talk about it, they're absolutely going to have to have third party or it's going to be uh, you know, some, some uh, crew from Ubekistan that's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be voting up 
certain pieces of content and voting down other ones. Becky, Becky, Stan, Stan. (laughs) I apologize to any residents of Ubekistan. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's move on. Well, this next story that we actually have is 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 related in a, in an interesting way, um, actually. So this one comes to us courtesy of themediabriefing.com. The headline here is why the laws of supply and demand don't work online and how quality content is the answer. The story opens up by saying it's a curious thing, ad blocking. Given that the increasingly commoditized display ad industry is suffering from such an oversupply of ad inventory, you might have thought that restricting supply a little might actually allow publishers to raise prices. After all, anyone with a basic grasp of the laws of supply and demand knows that by making something scarce whilst demand remains the same, prices rise accordingly until supply and demand are matched. Unfortunately... That's nothing short of wishful thinking when it comes to digital ad inventory. It's a model which was not built for a world in which more ad impressions can be generated with the flick of a switch. Ad loads can be boosted, and low-quality viral clickbait-style sites can simply publish another story, infuriatingly spread over 10 separate pages, each click generating more and more ad impressions to spew forth into the automated advertising ecosystem. Don't hide how you feel. How do you really feel about this? (laughs) The article then goes on to talk about how quality branded content, as the site calls it, um, could be the answer here because it gets more deeply engaged. It, it, it generates, just to our previous story and what we were covering, trust um, and more trust. And trust is at a premium and so starts to make the case that quality content that is paid for might be, in other words, a native advertising might be the answer. What, what did you make of this? Why, why do they keep using branded content? I, I mean, I'm, it's a, it's a it's legitimate ad, it's question. It's the ad agency. It's the it's the ad industry's word. It's the ad you know, and and shame on us, by the way, for not getting into the you know penetrating this marketplace. But we have that. That's it's. It, this is what the ad industry uses: is this word branded content. It's funny to me because he actually the author of this article makes reference to the Mark Ritson article that we actually sort of lambasted a couple of weeks ago, calling it content marketing. But in this article, they actually say branded content, you know, basically, yeah, they don't call it content independent of what you think of Mark Ritson's article. And they link the article basically who and Mark Ritson actually called it content marketing. It's a fascinating thing. It's it's, is that the ad industry just for either because they don't know and shame on us that they don't know or because they've know and don't care and want to sort of make it their own have decided that they're going to call it it's branded just, content and it's well, not it's, it's just it's not. The, so i always look at that branded content i look at the modifier what is modify you know you're, you're right. branding what content right. so if if you're talking about your products your services your brand your company in some way in the content that's what that always has told me but that's not what content marketing does, and, this, and clearly that's what they're talking about here. So I am at a loss, my friend. Um, I really so well. It's interesting because they they talk about this idea of content appearing within the context. You know, they talk about native advertising, yeah. right? And so, you know, a native advertising piece doesn't necessarily, in fact, the best ones don't, don't talk, talk about, about the brand or the product or the service. They talk about some issue or some approach or some thing that aligns with the mission that the brand has, but doesn't actually speak to the actual brand or product so that ultimately your call to action there is to find out more about this approach or this issue or this challenge or this thing you want to get educated on. And you go find out 
you know, with the brand sort of in a call to action. That's, you know, basically native advertising writ large. And so you, but taking that idea, you would want to say it's not about the brand. So I wouldn't call that branded content, but it has become, because of the sort of con lion focused, you know, idea of long form content, you know, BMW films, you know, sort of a long form commercial, that has become the idea of, of, of branded content. Yeah, the, when you look at BMW films and you've got the BMW driving around and you do it as a campaign, that's branded content all day long. And, and wonderful. And, and wonderful. by the way, Nothing wonderful and lovely and great yes. and absolutely wonderful. But if you're, if you're American Express Open Forum and you're talking about uh, solutions for small businesses and you don't mention American Express anywhere on it, it's not, that's not branded content. That is different. No. So everyone is you're all wrong. Stop. <laughs> stop it. Just stop the whole thing. Okay. What <laughs> when you anyway. were reading when you were going through your overview, uh I was thinking about, you know, this idea of trust and creating a consistent message that you know we talk about all the time. In my newsletter, did you read you probably didn't read my newsletter for content marketing institute? I read it religiously. So did you see did you see the quote from Ira Glass that I used that I love? Yes. I used it in my yes. book. But basically, yes. I don't know. I'm not going to read through the whole thing here. But I'm, I'm really, you know, for the last week, and I even mentioned it on the show already, that's the idea of body of work. And as you create more and more work through experimentation, Ira Glass talks about this. So basically, he says, you know, you've got to work through this experimentation and you've got to work through, um, you know, you're, you're not going to get it right away. And as you create more and more of this, you know, you create this thing that's a that's a body of work and you you become an accomplished content creator, if you will. And then you start to build trust. And while you were talking about this article, that's all this was saying to me. It's like if, if brands really want to be good at this and they really want to gain trust and credibility and so that they hopefully that will translate into some kind of behavioral change, you've got to do this over a long period of time and actually have something to show for it. It's similar to what we were just talking about. You're right with with Facebook scores or Google page rank or anything. Um, you have to do it over a long period of time or it's not going to make sense. And that, well, yeah, that's, that's what I took funny from to me. it. So. Yeah, no. Well, so, so here's the, it's so funny. We, we didn't talk about this pre-show, but this is that that was exactly my take as well. So when I read this article and I finished with it, I came away with the same feeling that I end up coming away with with so many of these articles that appear in these ad agency or ad world focused um, publications, which is it feels like to me that they're sort of working through the thinking and they're like four or five paragraphs, you know, the end of the article is like four or five paragraphs away from discovering, you know, if we just had this different approach to branded content where we didn't actually brand the content, that we actually created something that was trustworthy, entertaining, or informative for our customers and created an owned media experience around that, we'd have something new here. And it's almost like they're three or four or five paragraphs away from discovering content marketing. Oh, and, then, and also, no, you're absolutely right. But the, and there's one more thing, that you don't have to pay for it. Right. That's exactly that's right. right. Uh, the, because they're right. talking about two things. It's what it's basically, oh, how do we make our products and services sound great? We're going to use this content thing instead of advertising and we're going to pay for it in all these great, you know, all these great media sites. And we're going to try to do these campaigns so that we can get attention and sell more products and services. And so you're right. It's the two things. They just can't take the next step and say, well, what if we it's, created our own meet our own experience? 
for them on our own platform. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's like they're. It's like they're. You can just see the brain working as they work through this all the way, and then they stop. They usually stop right at well. It's going to be an interesting thing to watch, you know, as we go forward, you know, and, and try and figure all this out about how we're actually going to create content that creates cr- trust and actually does something for our business. You know, the, the actual last line of this article, the very last, last line of this article is, well, it's a fine balance, but if the industry gets it right, data-inspired branded content should be able to match quality supply with quality demand to help cut through the noise generated by the obesity crisis that currently pervades our industry. And you just want to go, just keep writing. Just keep writing for like three more paragraphs and you'll, you'll find Valhalla. You will find, <laughs> you will find what you're looking for. And then come to Content Marketing Institute and we will grant thee the blessings of all the Sikhs. And so it's fascinating to me anyway. So it's it's publishing folks. It's it's not, it's not rocket science. I mean, we're, you know, we're sort of in our bubble, you know, the brand, we just talk about the the branded content bubble where we don't necessarily get, uh, you know, the con lion thing and, and the whole advertising thing and the awards and the glitz and the glamour content marketing is anything but glitz and glamour. Like we are out here, you know, every day doing the work, creating the content, focusing on the needs of the audience more than anything else and building that audience over time. And we can't predict when it's going to happen, like when you're going to hit that minimum viable audience that's going to take you to the next level. But you got to put the work in. As Ira was was saying, you got to put the work in. I mean, I I linked in my... um, a newsletter I linked Seth Godin and, and Ira Glass, and they both were, t- you know, basically talking about the same thing. Those people, you know, Seth Godin's was a prediction that he gave to Content Marketing Institute in 2010, and it, it was it basically it was for what was going to happen in 2010. So this is right at the end of the Great Recession. We didn't know that, but it's right at the end. And he says those people for the last few years have been putting in the time and creating content and focus on the needs of the audience. In 2010, their work will pay off, and that, you know they will right. see the rewards that they've been trying to build this platform and this experience over the last couple of years. And I basically say in the newsletter, he was right. That was it. Yeah. And uh, it, it is, it's, it's not any more difficult than that. But yeah. whatever. Well, well, speaking of that, so our next story here gets to, gets to an interesting thing, which is may or may not actually capture that state of where we are in 2017 now. Um, this article comes to us courtesy of the thesearchenginejournal.com, and it is the State of Content Marketing Ecosystem. Uh, This is an infographic, a super infographic, if you will, and the content marketing industry is growing, the article starts out, and it says it's getting bigger than ever. With content trends such as 360 videos, live streaming, and virtual reality, the industry is sure to rise in the coming years. In fact... Don't say it. Don't. Don't. (laughs) I know where you're going. No, you can Uh, say it. In fact, it says content marketing is projected to turn into a $300 billion with a B industry by 2019. The majority of B2B marketers currently employ content marketing as part of their strategy. This doesn't come as a surprise since content marketing, this is the one that got me. Oh, I thought of you, too. 62% cheaper than traditional marketing, but generates three times as many leads. Oh boy, this is a, this is stat soup right here. But um, okay, so so I, I think you can probably all tell what we think. But what 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 did you take out of this? Well, I was, as soon as I saw the sixty two percent cheaper, I thought of you because that's that's one of your <laughs> rants and masterclass. Obviously, we've talked about yes. it. It's not necessary. It could be. It might be less might expensive, be. 
but it might be more expensive. That's too. right. So it depends on what the overall goal is and what you're trying to go for. Now, here's the thing. Look, it, it's, I'm sure in, to some people this is a fine article. I'm 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 assuming it's helpful to some people in some ways, but they take they they basically say they interview 300 in-house marketers, agencies, and freelance creatives. I'm just going to give you one stat here, Robert. This is the one that I picked out that I thought was wonderful. By the way, there's there was no. Uh, I'm sure that this was just 300 people that filled out the survey. I, I don't know if there's any rhyme or reason for who filled the survey out, but that's fine. Um, yeah. This it, it was. Uh, 48%, 48% spend less than $15,000 on their content marketing. Who are these people? What? <laughs> right. they, are these freelance writers? Are they agencies? Are they, I, I don't know what audience that they pulled. I think they're, they're just individuals. I, 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 so I don't know if this is any, is this is helpful. This, this is more for the, this show, this old marketing is more for, you got to, this is almost like fake news to me. You got to double check these sources because basically everything in here, uh, if you look for the content marketing is projected to turn $300 billion, you and I both contested that finding. I don't believe that for one instant that this industry is $300 billion. I don't know how you're looking at it, but there's a, it's, yeah, and, it's, and then they're, they're picking one case study from one person. It's an individual that said that his leads we're 62% cheaper than his traditional marketing. It's not, but then we take that case study and we say, oh, well, content marketing is 62% cheaper. That stuff just boils me. It's like, stop doing that. And this is where brands yeah. get in trouble. To, and by the way, Search Engine Journal usually does some really good stuff. I just think that this wasn't one of their, their all-time greatest hits here. So that's my take. No, well, the, 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 yeah, the, I mean, the, the challenge with the 62% number is that they're, they're, they link to Neil Patel's site, and Neil, of course, produces some wonderful content, and then the Neil Patel site actually cites it and, and sources a demand metric um, lead, which, you know, I'm not sure where that came from. And, and, and it's, a, it's a number that's been generated for you know, a long time, you know, a multiple, because I know, I, I know it by yeah. heart because it, 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 it bugs me so much because the challenge is, is that B2B marketers are taking that number and using it as a business case to get their thing going. And when they don't reach it, when they don't get that 62% cheaper number, everybody goes, oh, content marketing oh. is a big fail. And it's the worst way to go in. Uh, to your yes. C-level or your CMO or whoever has the purse strings and say that, that we can do this cheaper. That's the worst way right. to do it. Let's do. That's let's right. create better customers, not get the same ones cheaper. That's right. So That's right. And by the way, it just says, okay, great. You know, but what, basically what you're saying is, well, I'm going to give you 62% less money and you're going to deliver the same amount of results then, right? And so the, we, what it, it comes to is we're going to invest less and actually deliver the same. And of course, we know that 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 hurts, and it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't work out the way we want it to work out. Anyway, so I you know I applaud them for trying to do a current state of the content marketing ecosystem, but caveat emptor in terms of the the stats here, it's it's not that this is you know it is not going to be a three hundred billion dollar industry by twenty nineteen, and it is not sixty two percent cheaper to do traditional. This market. is a strain, and well, and by the way. 
I mean, I sort of get this. This is on the search engine side. This is a very strange subset, if you want to even call it content marketing. I mean, I, I just talked about the the budgeting. You know, if you go down to the end of this thing, they said that 27% said their standard rate was four to seven cents a word. Th- this is this is the lowest common denominator for content marketing you can find. So that's where right. we have as as right. yeah we as content marketing professionals sort of have to raise this up and say this is your clickbaity. You produce as much content as you possibly can. This is where we've got a whole load of people in Albania creating all kinds of stuff for us, which is fine. I mean, you, there are some people that make a living by doing this, but most companies can't do this and shouldn't do this. So that's why we're talking about this on the show. Don't get don't get led that this is the norm. This is abnormal. That's right. That's right. All right. So that's enough of that. So we'll move on to our final story really quickly here. Um, And this comes courtesy of the Wall Street Journal. Um, And this is, you know, out of the mouth of babes, as it were. Last week, you guys might remember, I kind of went off on a commentary about the agency world and agencies losing their position to uh, publishers and media companies. And what do you know? Wall Street Journal must listen to this show because this week uh, there was an article in the Wall Street (laughs) Journal with the headline... Uh, Publishers take on ad agency roles with branded content. Ah, there's that word again. Um, And uh, the article opens up by saying, A New York Times company staffer recently spent weeks digging into a technology company, visiting engineering departments, and interviewing executives to ferret out the best story there was to be told about the firm. It wasn't for a hard-hitting expose. Instead, the writer was working for T-Brand Studio, the company's in-house ad agency, to put together a report commissioned by the media publisher on how to best market itself in an ad campaign. Publishers are pouring resources into such initiatives as they try to turn their niche, branded content business into significant growth drivers. They are expanding into areas that traditionally have been the domain of advertising agencies, from doing research for companies, creating ads that run outside their own websites, etc. So, I, you know, what do you think about this? I mean, this, I mean, obviously, I had my my commentary last week but is this you know is this sort i thought it was a really good overview actually of, uh, of you know much better actually than my rant or commentary was last week about where where the sort of publishing and media industry is with this this kind of well, i do like it because they go down the line of the the times what uh, new york times wall street journal post time inc <clears throat> and talks about how yeah. many people what their names are for their studios how many people they have in it even percentage of revenue for sponsored content so from that standpoint if you want to know where the industry is at for from a publishing agency standpoint, I mean, this is really critical to look at. The one quote I thought was interesting is, you know, publishing advertising is still falling faster. Uh, Print advertising is still falling faster than digital growth. And then you and I, you know, we even have a suspect belief on digital growth. So what what the article talks about is, okay, well, how are these media companies... um, uh, maintaining their business models and it seems like they're turning into mostly sponsored content i mean if you look at the yeah what was it the new york times went from 14 million in 14 to 35 million in revenues in 15 yep that it's going to be 20 percent of their digital ad revenue this year so i mean you we've talked about many times on and it was just i think we did you know a good portion of the show about four weeks ago on the fact that this is a concerning trend because what's going to happen and I understand why it's happening, right? I mean, there are a lot of brands that are paying Wall Street Journal and Washington Post for their uh, story writing excellence. 
uh, story creation excellence, and they're go ahead and they're charging for it. But as these publishing businesses have more and more of their money in on sponsored content, I think you're dealing with the devil. Because at some point, these same companies that are paying Wall Street Journal and Washington Post all this money, they're going to pull it back off the table at some point. And that's why I, I would just say that you cannot move from, oh, we were advertising and now we're all native advertising or sponsored content or whatever you want to call it. Sure. I think that that is... That's a real estate game. Basically, you're just playing the real estate just game. Just moving it around. And yeah. it, from a diversification standpoint, I like it. Yeah. Have a little bit. You've got print advertising. You've got digital advertising. You've got online training. You've got sponsored content. That's all different... Uh, you know, P&Ls that you can have, that you can keep growing, that you can have leaders focus on. But if you just moved everything over into the sponsored content bucket, we're going to have a crash at some point. I don't know when it's going to happen, two years, three years, whatever. But you're, they're going to pull things away. These brands aren't going to pay for them anymore. And, they're, and these brands are going to get hit again with multiple losses and layoffs and whatnot, like they already aren't. It, it's, I just... So that I like this article from that standpoint, but a little piece of me was crying as well uh, about them. Well, he's, and so here's so here's the here's the thing I really liked about it was, you know, and it's and and you know, and I'm, I'm I've I've been on record before saying I really like what the New York Times is doing here in, in terms of vertically integrating all of these different services and products and ways that they're. And you said something to me during the masterclass tour, which is just has totally stuck with me, which was, you know, we were talking about this and the, you know, New York times purchasing, um, wire, wire cutter magazine, uh, and, um, and then doing this agency service and, you know, really experimenting with a lot of different revenue streams to sort of reformat and reboot their, their business more broadly. Um, and I was talking about it and you said something really insightful to me. You said, yeah, it's cause I was concerned. Wow. It's, you know, it's really declining revenue and all that kind of stuff. And you said, yeah, but it's just normalizing. It's just normalizing itself in a new market space. And basically the New York times company, right? The broad speaking New York times company is just a different kind of business than it used to be. And so that's the new reality of the world. And if you can come out of that as a vertically integrated way, offering all these different kinds of products and services and affiliate marketing and e-commerce and events and content and spot, you know, basically really integrating yourselves into a platform, much like what the media companies have watched the social platforms do like Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and all the rest. Well, now you become a much more valuable company because you have a lot more, basically you're, you're, you're diversified in all your investments. That's and it's right. such a, that's a really cool and interesting trend to see for media companies to go through. I and I and I love that. and I think that's you know man come from from the media side you're not going to get 60 70% gross margins anymore that's that that game is over that was when the media industry owned you know there were just a few players in each market and you could charge right. those kind of and now you can't anymore but now so what do you how do you fight back well there's all different ways that you can make revenue off of an audience and I do actually like New York Times is the one that I really like the one that still concerns me is BuzzFeed, where about 90 plus percent of their revenue is made off of sponsored content. Vice Media, yeah. the same way. Like I love what Vice Media is doing and they're diversifying into you know what they've got going with the HBO specials and some other things that they're doing. But really, the majority of their projected revenue is sponsored stuff. 
I just, I don't know if that's you know, the best funny. way I look to at go. Those, I look at those two companies in particular as sort of house flips, right? I, I always envision this leadership in those two companies going, we're just going to maximize this machine until somebody buys well, us. If that's the case, then they're doing a really good job of it. The, 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 yeah. Uh, and, but then, the, yeah, then you've got a New York Times that can actually sustain a downturn. Because they are right. they are diversifying and their subscriptions are rising and the and the whole election process. I mean, they we talked about that on the show. How many uh, more subscriptions that they they're having, and as well as the Washington Post. So I like what those companies are doing. I'm scared about the other ones, but maybe you're right. Maybe they don't care. It's like, hey, grow it yeah. as fast as possible. The fastest square way to do that without adding so much to your. Um, to your costs would be to just focus on one or two ways to make money and just drive as much value out of that as possible until it croaks and hopefully you sell off before then. And so here's the takeaway for marketers, right? So for me, the takeaway for marketers is look at that as the business model you're creating with content marketing, right? So what so many are doing now is they're, they're, they're making Joe cry (laughs) by focusing in on one business model, which is lead generation, only looking at the content marketing program as a lead generator and how many leads can we get it cheaper? Can we get a 62% rate effectiveness on our lead? And that's the only value we're looking for. And thus, maybe it works for a little while, but it won't work in the long term. Instead, think about media and becoming a media company as a vertically integrated platform where multiple lines of value come into the business by building an asset, which of course is an addressable audience and so that's that's i think the the, the real take somebody you should really write a yeah. book on this it really <laughs> needs to happen yeah, yeah. there <laughs> might be there might be one in the works as we I like to say so. all right well, you know what we should talk about is the how we pay our bills with a vertically integrated that's... um approach and that is our episode sponsor actually you can see our entire business model at work here in our little sponsor <laughs> segment uh we have a couple of uh, events to talk about for content marketing institute first first of all by the way robert we had a great registration week for intelligent content conference so i'm so excited that we've got people that are signing up for icc in march 28th the 30th 2017 uh, we've talked about this on the show. If you care at all about taking your content strategy to the next level and you're a marketer, a PR professional, communication professional, you want to be at ICC 2017. Uh, it is a fantastic lineup that we have that Robert and I put together this year for you. Uh, we have first time we can offer a discount code PNR100, all caps, PNR100, save you 100 bucks. Uh, go to intelligentcontentconference.com, sign up, March 28th to 30th. Robert and I will both be there. Uh, of course, we've got the big show, Content Marketing World, September 5th to 8th, 2017, already open for registration. Uh, we're already working on the agenda planning for that one. So just put that on your calendar. Sign up now for the best rate, contentmarketingworld.com. Uh, CMI University Training, Content Marketing uh, University. Uh, is it contentmarketinguniversity.com? I think that's right. It is. Yeah. Content is, marketing. Absolutely. Yeah. Contentmarketinguniversity.com. December. Right now, our winter enrollment is open. It ends December 31st, 2016. So sign up now. We can open. Open now. We can also offer you a. Open. We can also offer you $100 off of that rate. PNR100. Same discount code. Just take the discount code and use it everywhere. You get 100 bucks off. <laughs> PNR100. Contentmarketinguniversity.com. Remember, you only have a week or week or so left in that one that ends at the end of december and then our free virtual event on content marketing technology content tech 
the virtual event, February 22nd, 2017. The good news for that one is it's free. You can sign up. Go to contentmarketinginstitute.com. <laughs> but if you put PNR 100 in, we'll give you $100. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> uh, that's not correct, folks. We're not going to give you $100. <laughs> we like to keep that money. Uh, contentmarketinginstitute.com slash events uh, for content tech and for any of our other events. Uh, we'll be at all of them. Uh, we'd love to see you there. And we're super excited. 2017 going to be a good year. It's going to be, be fun. It's going to be a good, good year. year. Yeah. Uh, looks like the economy is ready to go. Uh, so you should have budget for all these things this year. And uh, we want to <laughs> see it all of them. So there you go. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you for that. And so now, folks, it is time for your favorite part of the show. It is our rants and raves section when Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel like we are busy, 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 busy. Or, quite frankly, the men of leisure sitting by the pool having a cocktail. Um, and so, let's see. You're going first because you have this old marketing. Yes, I, I have two quick raves. And the first one I found out, this is on Washington Post. It says, uh, the article is, now you can fact check Trump's tweets in the tweets themselves. Now, this is not just about Donald Trump, folks. But I thought the technology was interesting. There's a Chrome extension uh, here that you can download. And when you're on Twitter and you're I mean, this is obviously going to be extended beyond Mr. Trump. Uh, but it, but I like the idea that somebody is fact checking uh, content that comes through. So very similar to our fake news story in the beginning. But you can go through and the, the sample that they give was, uh, let's see, it's a tweet here from you know, a tweet from Donald J. Trump. The media tries so hard to make my move to the White House as it pertains to my business so complex when it actually isn't. And then there's a thing underneath it from Washington Post. And it says, this is incorrect or false. His advisors have said that it is complex. Learn more here. So just interesting <laughs> that Twitter is adding yeah. that. Uh, well, that's a, it's a Chrome extension that you can download. So we'll put the uh, put this in the show notes. Um, I think we're going to see more of this. Obviously, we're seeing on Facebook, we're seeing on Twitter, probably on LinkedIn, fake news. Uh, whether it's a whether it's the president elect or whether it's uh, some Albanian website, uh, we're all looking at it the same. It's an important thing. So that's my first rave. Uh, thanks to them for doing that. The second one, I have to tell you about this use of email. So uh, I was in Las Vegas with my wife, as you know, Robert, uh, over the weekend. And she always wanted to go see David Copperfield. as one of her wishes. I, I was not a big fan, or at least before this show. So I'm like, hey, fantastic. Go to, go to David Copperfield. I'm not going to talk about the show itself. I thought it was fantastic, though. We we oh, just wow. had a we had a great time. Doesn't he do like stuff like making the Statue of Liberty disappear? Uh, I don't know. If, like yeah, I, mean, I don't even know if that was him. But I, we were. I'm still scratching my head over the stuff that I saw. I mean, I know it's illusion, but I'm like, how did he do these things? It was unbelievable. But this was the thing I want to talk about. That's relevant. So, by the way, if you're ever in Vegas, it's at the MGM. I would totally recommend it. Had a great time. But. At the beginning of the show, so he has the intro, uh, his the person introducing him, Robert, come out on stage, and they say, "Okay, what we first want you to do is send us an email." And we're all thinking, "Email? What?" He's like, "Don't worry, we're not going to spam you, but if you send an email to, I think it's me, m e at davidcopperfield.com, what they did was they put up a big board, and it was a board of the world, uh, and as you emailed your city, state, and and uh, country, you had a dot come up on the screen. So in 15 minutes, we saw where everybody in the audience was from, just by sending an email. Hmm. And I, it was 
it was fun because everybody was sort of watching to see because so there were a lot of people from like Charlotte, North Carolina, because there was a huge glob <laughs> right right about at that location. <laughs> and you could see people were there from India and China and all and a lot of people from Europe were there. So that was interesting. And by the way, he he used the email in, a trick into his show. So basically, you know, he predicted something that would happen during the show and he sent an email at seven the the show started at seven o'clock. He sent an email at seven eighteen and he ended the show with and you've received an email from us and you'll see that it's time stamped at seven seventeen and it has all this information that happened throughout the show and you know, surprise, this was amazing. I just thought that his use of email and how critical like even in the social nice. media era Email is still the thing that we keep coming back to, and, uh, and even the the master illusionist, the king of magic himself, uh, uses email, folks. Um, so I thought Very it was nice. fun. It was super fun. Ah, that's awesome. That's what, I have not seen him. I I I, I have always wanted to and not seen. Him. I love. Yeah, him. I was fighting it. I wanted to go see the Michael Jackson uh, show. I think it was one or whatever. Whatever his Cirque du Soleil, Michael Jackson. Uh, that's what I wanted to see. We decided to see David Copperfield. Don't regret it all. Yeah, you made the right oh, choice. You definitely made absolute, the right choice. Well, I, yeah. now I know. <laughs> all right, what do you got, sir? All right. So I have two quick uh, commentaries really quickly here. One is sort of a, um, a, 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 I guess, an addition or revision or enhancement or something to one of my commentaries from last week, which was, um, if you remember last week on the show, I talked about uh, WPP and their uh, addition of the Xaxix um, and the Empower platforms and basically how they're going to try and create a complete ID system, Google ID, Apple ID, Facebook ID kind of thing on the internet that would ultimately help target ads uh, across uh, the spectrum of mobile and social and all these different places programmatically. And so one of the things that I had suggested in that was that, you know, and I've made this prediction on a couple of different prediction posts and stuff is that a media company may start to look to uh, acquire a, uh, or excuse me, an agency may, may look to acquire a media company for just this purpose, right? Creating content that actually has value gives users a reason to sign up for something and give over data willingly, trustingly, and you could then use that data to help drive more programmatic advertising. And so this would be a natural thing for them. I neglected to sort of really do the deep dive research, but after the show last week, I started to do deep, deeper dives into this sort of platform. And sure enough, they actually are doing something. They're not looking at content, actually. They're looking at, they've been acquiring e-commerce companies. And that's an interesting thing to me. So I think more than anything else, I don't really have a conclusion here yet, but just to say, if you're interested in this kind of thing, programmatic advertising and how the bigger agencies are starting to do this, look into some of their acquisitions. They just acquired a company called, this is WPP through their M platform. Um, and the link we'll link to is the, the news on this, they just acquired a company called Triad. The Triad has been around for a long time. It's been uh, almost more than 10 years now. They've got 700 people and they've got clients like Walmart and eBay and, and companies like that where they actually are serving up programmatic sort of personalized, if you will, ads within the e-commerce platform to help drive upsell, cross-sell, and even sort of partnership stuff. So getting more, you know, the, the classic in retail is, is slotting fees for retailers. Well, now some of the retailers or um, can start to charge slotting fees, as it were, 
for ads for products that may be like another product. In other words, you may cross sell or upsell other things into their e-commerce platform. You might, you know, you go buy a can of beans and well, you might want a can of corn. And, and so you can, you can do that cross sell. And these companies, WPP are buying these companies in order to get really good at e-commerce to do some of this across their entire platform. So I think it's just a really interesting trend to go look at. Um, if you're into the sort of retail, the idea of e-commerce and how agencies are starting to use it to do programmatic advertising. Second one, quickly here is, um, and big hat tip to Carlos Abler from 3M. Hi, Carlos. I hope you got back from Mexico. Um, and uh, he sent over uh, this report, new report from Altimeter, from our friends at Altimeter, the analyst firm um, now owned by Profit, um, that um, had done a report, a research report, on what they call the five stages of digital content maturity. And so this is a gated asset, by the way. So what we're going to link to, we'll link to the profit site, but you know, that if you feel like signing up, great. And if you don't, I'm going to give you the summary here. So I took a bullet for you because <laughs> you don't feel like <laughs> signing up. And basically the content opens up by saying, look, customer expectations of branded content have changed. Companies have to evolve their strategies and all the stuff that we talk about here, of course. But can we look at a maturity model? And they go through this. Now, here's the thing. I I, I like this. I, so I sort of, I don't know, I loved and hated this thing at the same time because the advice they give in this maturity model is pretty, it's a little bland, but it's good. It's good advice here. They start, you know, they have this maturity model that says start with experiment, start looking at scaling, then look at becoming more strategic where you've got content as a function, then you get sophisticated where you've got content literally driving the customer experience. So, so far so good. And I'm like, that's great. But then the research. And they started in on the research and they start and they basically go out and they say, look, we went and interviewed all these people and we asked them and, and they say this in the report. Um, and actually, Carlos got a little tripped up on this as well. It basically says, we asked them, what does a mature organization look like? And do they agree with these statements? And basically, the statements were like, does the mature organization have a unified strategy? Does the mature organization have executive management that supports content? Does a mature organization tie revenue to content um, in an attribution model? And everybody said yes, like 90% said either somewhat agree or totally agree with that. Then they make the conclusion, here's where they go off the rails for me, is they the next paragraph goes on to then say, this shows how much progress companies are actually making toward becoming a mature organization with content. It's like, no, that's not what that number says at all. In fact, it says something quite different. And, you know, this is like asking, you know, is war bad? Should countries get along and should we be good to each other? And then most people go, yes, war is bad. Countries should get along and we should be good to each other. Then we conclude that, well, we're well on our way to world peace then, aren't we? It's like, no, we, just because you say stuff that people agree with doesn't mean that they're actually doing it. So that doesn't indicate progress. And so that's where the report kind of fell off the, the fell off the rails for me. So if you get this report, just know that basically what they're saying is, do you agree that smart content strategy is good? And most of the organizations say, yes, good content strategy is good and we should do it. And then the maturity model itself is is, is pretty interesting. So there you have it. Those well, are my two. Yeah, it's so funny. I mean, if you look at a lot of our research, everybody says, uh, yes, we really should have a documented content marketing strategy, but we really don't have one right yeah. now. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like we right. stopped it. It just is it a good idea? Everybody thinks it's a good idea. Of course. Should I be working out three times a week? I, I absolutely should. should. A really good idea. I should. No. I'm going to go open a bottle That's of wine right. and not do we're that. Drink and eat. That's what we're going to do. That's how we're going to work out. 
<laughs> work out with my exactly Tito's. That's what we're going to do. All right. I've got a very quick uh, This Old Marketing. And I just received this. So so uh, kudos to our friend Kyle Lacey at Open View Venture Partners. And, of course, for those of you, oh, that, I like Kyle. Yeah, those of you that listen to this show and have for a long time, we love the folks at Open View Venture Partners. Scott Maxwell, uh, who started the firm, the venture capital firm, uh, years ago, has always been a great supporter of us. Uh, I think they had us do a content marketing workshop back in 2008. So they were one of the first ones that jumped on board. So they have a really excellent uh, platform, open view platform, which is called open or um, venture capital learning platform called open view labs. And they've had it for many years. And if you're at all interested in, you know, how, uh, companies grow and fund themselves, uh, if you're a startup or, you know, early seed capital or, or late, even late seed, they've got a lot of really good information for you on that site. And what Kyle sent me, Robert was a magazine. I don't even know what you call this. It's more like a report, uh, it's called Build, and you go into it. Let me just read you something from the. So it's it's uh, it's really a lot of pages on it. There's 160 pages. So this is wow. This is a thing, and basically from the founder <laughs> on the around the inside it says, uh, since our founding 10 years ago, OpenView has been singularly focused on investing in and helping build the best expansion stage software companies. We've made it our mission to not only seek out these companies, but to interact with and understand the people behind them. We invest in people first and foremost. So through Build, we're giving our community a close-up look at what it takes to build and scale a company from the ground up. These stories come directly from the founders, leaders, and operators, the builders, and makers. He goes on and on and talks about what's in the what's in the uh, the, the magazine here, if it's called a magazine or a report, and this there's commentary here from facebook from harvard business review from uh crayon uh jay bears in here track mavens in here good friend of of the of the show uh with some other companies uh help scout a lot of other return path ion scott brinker's in here from ion so this is a really good information about how to build a company and i could just see this going to pro- their prospects and customers and saying, you know you want to learn how to grow a business this is it and by the way besides that little first statement that's all they mention about open view everything nice. in this is purely educational and there's just a little thank you card from them and said hope you really enjoy this and kyle sent me a personalized note so i just th- so my takeaway for anybody listening to this they took a lot of this information from their blog so they basically took the best of their blog and then added to it in a lot of cases but most of it was the best of from their blog they put it into this report and they created something really special as like a coffee table type book that i will probably keep with me and i'm, I'm not even a target of theirs he just sent it to me to be nice uh and probably for us to talk about it which it worked here we are talking about it so um i just wanted to say i love what they're doing at open view and I just talked about this. I actually posted an article today on Content Marketing Institute site about one of my key trends, and I've been talking about it. Print is back. We've seen we've hit the bottom in print. It's now making a comeback to really cut through the clutter. Uh, smart companies like OpenView know that, and they've got this build publication. And I'll make sure I put the link in here because what they do is they have a little referral in here, Robert. So it says, thanks for being part of the OpenView community. And they say, if you want to share this little card with your friend, or you can send them this link, openview.vc slash build book, if they want to get a digital version of it. So Brilliant. very, very, very That's cool. Wonderful. Yeah. That's just fantastic. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful example. 
All right, what are the holiday plans for you, my friend? What are the holiday plans? Uh, we're going to stay in town. Actually, I think we have all. I think this is the first time ever that we have both sides of the family at our house. So this is awesome because we love hosting. Like, and you know, my wife, she she's her number one goal in life is to throw more parties. And so we have we have both sides of the family coming in. So we have Christmas Eve and nice. Christmas Day, and uh, we're just looking forward to having the family over. So, how about how about yourself? Uh, not a lot. Um, we are we're going to hang out and, um, and and be with. We are we're going to be with family as well here. Um, I the only thing on my agenda is Rogue One tomorrow oh, yes. night. Uh, yes. Yeah, tomorrow night. And, um, and, and yeah, and that's kind of it. Other than that, um, the Cowboys are playing well. And so I've got a date with the Cowboys next Monday and, um, yeah, Christmas, you know, happy Christmas. There we go. Happy Christmas, happy holidays. And uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. Absolutely. All right, folks. Well, that is it for this Christmas, uh, upcoming edition of, uh, this old marketing for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose. We are signing off. And if you like this episode, number 162, why don't you leave us a kind review on iTunes? We do love the iTunes reviews, especially if they're nice. And if you haven't yet, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. And when you leave us a review or you subscribe, let us know through the hashtag on Twitter. Hashtag this old marketing us up, and we would love to talk to you about it. Also, the story ideas, story ideas, story ideas. We love those things. You can also hashtag us up at hashtag this old marketing on Twitter. Or you can send an email, as some of you have already done so many times, to this old marketing at content. Institute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes, which will be available on the show as we publish on Monday night. And of course, in its replete glory of Valhalla, as I got that in again, show post at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, first and foremost, have a wonderful Christmas holiday. And remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.